Hey folks, and welcome to Learning to Serve, the podcast that explores deeper learning in Christian schools. I'm your host, Krista Wallace. Let's dive in. Today's guest is Dr. Lynn Swanner with ACSI. I met Lynn at our first Christian Deeper Learning Conference in Gainesville, Florida back in 2017. She is an absolute dynamo. She's sharing today about how to integrate service learning into K-12 curriculum to bring it to life. Let's listen in. All right. Well, good morning, Dr. Swanner. Lynn Swanner is on Learning to Serve with us today. And uh, Lynn, you are the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at ACSI. I love that title. What a creative title. Can you describe your role with ACSI? Sure. And Krista, thanks so much for having me on today. And hi to all your listeners. It's exciting to be with you today from the Philly suburbs, uh, where it's still a little snowy, uh, but it's great to be with you. So my role at ACSI essentially involves leading initiatives and developing strategies. And we address compelling questions, challenges, and opportunities that Christian schools are facing. And that involves a few things, starts with research, which of course involves data collection with experts in schools and writing and analysis and also applying for grants. Uh, we've got some great projects at ACSI we're working on like our Flourishing Schools Research and our new sustainability initiative, which we're partnering with Cardinals on. We also do a lot of publishing and disseminating of that research, whether through blogs or articles. And we also have a research digest called Research and Brief. And sometimes we also do edited or co-authored books. Uh, I think what I love most is I get the chance to work closely with Christian school leaders around the country, developing strategic dialogues around those challenges and opportunities. And I also get to build collaborative initiatives with leaders in different organizations in the U.S., but also across the world. And then, of course, working within ACSI to equip ACSI staff and our leaders to be able to work with the research that we're doing to help develop resources. For example, from our Flourishing Schools research, uh, we have a signature professional development piece rolling out next year, which is our uh, Flourishing Schools Institute that we're very excited about. So it's it's very busy, uh, but it's dynamic and it's always something new, which I love. Oh, tell, tell me more about the Flourishing Schools Institute. This is news to me. Yeah, so this will actually be rolling out in Dallas, your home state uh, in, in June. And uh, it will be a, a essentially a two and a half, three day institute where leaders will come with their teams and will work with our Flourishing Schools Research model. We have uh, some really amazing keynotes uh, and also a dynamic process by which, so it's not just come and listen to a keynote, but we also take leaders and their teams through a deep dive through the different constructs of the, of the research in five domains. So we've got a uh, purpose, we've got relationships, teaching and learning, which I'll talk hopefully a little bit more about later, um, expertise and resources and well-being. And so it's really, the, it, it not only is it fresh and research-based content, it's also a dynamic process that they'll go through for those days to really look in detail at flourishing in their school. So we're very, very excited about it and, uh, and can't wait to start doing that. I think the goal is to do about four year in different parts of the country and also eventually internationally. So it's very exciting. That is very exciting. I love it. And I love that this is going to be in person. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think we Absolutely. will be done with our virtual 
gatherings at that point. <laughs> I, I sure hope I sure hope so. I mean, there's a lot we've learned from COVID. You know, I think there's there's a lot of uh, good things that will come out of having to be nimble and adjusting. Mm-hmm. Our schools, also our organizations and associations, but I do know that we are all looking forward in, uh, to putting that new learning uh, into practice in person as well again. So looking That's forward. Right certainly miss everyone. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, in 2018, you and Roger Erdvig, am I saying his name, last name, right? Okay. You guys wrote a book, bring it to life, which focuses on Christian schools and how they can implement service learning. So what motivated you to write this book in particular? Sure. Well, before I came to Christian education about 15 years ago, uh, I actually followed my kids to their Christian school. I got bit by the the Christian school bug that way after volunteering for a while and and never went back to higher ed. But um, for that, when I was in higher education, I worked as an administrator, a faculty member, and also did a good deal of research and grant work. A lot of that research and grant work was related to service learning. And so when I came to Christian education, I sort of brought service learning along in my thinking as a really powerful way to engage students in their learning and really develop their ability to serve others in meaningful and authentic ways. So while I was at my kids' Christian school as an administrator in New York, we piloted service learning for a couple of years, and then it changed into a full-blown K-12 service learning initiative um, that we rolled out at the entire school. And then from there, Roger and I, and Roger was the head of school at the time, Uh, And as you mentioned, as the co-author on the book, we began working with other schools that were reaching out and saying, hey, we would like to develop our own service learning programs. And we repeatedly got a request for a roadmap. You know, how do we how do we do this in our schools? Uh, And we certainly couldn't be everywhere at the same time. And so that's the reason why we wrote that book. Now, there are a lot of guidebooks out there related to service learning, and and they're great, but none of them are specific to the Christian school setting. This is the only one. And so in in the book, we really break down Christian service learning into a set of tasks. They're organized into chapters. This includes defining service learning. How do we conceptually frame it? Uh, How do we we provide a set of standards? that schools can use to develop service learning and talk about how school leaders can support it, what teachers can do to do effective planning and also how to assess it. And we really wanted the book to be as practical as possible. So there are worksheets, there are vignettes with examples, there's reflection questions, and we really strongly encourage schools to engage together as a team in reading the book because service learning is complex, it's intensive, and it works best when leaders and teachers are working collaboratively. And so the book was really designed to facilitate that. Yeah, that's great. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. If let's describe, can you describe service learning and maybe, so in the book, you describe it as a pedagogy that intentionally connects classroom learning with service opportunities outside of the school. So what are some misconceptions? First of all, let's, let's talk about what service learning isn't and what some people think it is. And then let's talk about what it really is. Sure, well, I think most Christian schools have a lot of service going on. Certainly the the hundreds of Christian schools I've visited, you know, there's lots of service projects going on, um, which is great. And, And so it's really connected with Christian mission and having a biblical worldview. I think it's very hard to avoid serving. The issue is 
and a lot of the service activities that are going on in through schools really resemble or look very similar to what students could get pretty much anywhere, whether it's their church or their family um, or their youth group. And so service learning really says, what is the unique strength that schools bring to the Christian mandate, the Christian desire, the Christian mission to serve? And really it is that educative aspect. It's the curriculum, it's the teaching and learning. And so that's the difference with service learning. So when we talk about service learning, there are a few differences. The first is it's, it's, it's um, systemic. It's long-term, it is not a one-off. And, and I share these things not to knock any of the service opportunities going on at the school. They're all wonderful. We don't suggest that anybody stop them. It's just, how can you deepen and enhance them by tying them to the curriculum and to the core learning? So, uh, you know, it's tied to the curriculum. It, it needs to be assessed as part of the curriculum. Uh, it, it has to take students off campus to have that real world, authentic kind of learning and then and meet real needs. And then a key piece is develop relationships. So it has to enable students to in developmentally appropriate ways. You know, for example, you probably would want your, your younger students maybe working with a nursing home, or we see that a lot, or something like that, whereas your older students might really work with a nonprofit that deals with human trafficking, for example. Um, so it has to be very developmentally appropriate, obviously. Uh, but you do want them to have that increasing sense of where we're doing some real meaningful real life work. And then of course that, you know, all the research and service learning in every kind of setting says that it is, it creates a lifelong impact for students. Mm -hmm. So these are the main, the main differences. Yeah. So why, why specifically is this connection essential for learning in our Christian schools? Yeah, so I sort of alluded to it a little bit, uh, you know, obviously we start in the book by examining the Gospels and we talk about how Jesus served others and how he clearly in, in multiple scriptures and we share a list of those desires for us to do the same. So, you know, we serve others because Jesus first served us and that's really a hallmark of the Christian faith. And we also talk about as believers, we have an opportunity to respond to God's love by serving others. So Jesus loved us first, and we can actually respond to that by loving others through service. So it is serving helps students to develop Christ-likeness in really deep and meaningful ways as they learn to serve. And that would be a great name for a podcast, wouldn't it? Learn to serve. <laughs> Learning to serve. <laughs> um, but, but really, as importantly, service learning helps students really understand their part in the narrative arc of scripture. So mm -hmm. we with a, a perfect creation through the fall. Uh, then we look at the, the cross and God's plan for redemption and restoration. And so when we, when we engage students in service learning, it provides a real world understanding of how they can use the unique images and the unique gifts and abilities created in God's image uh, to address needs they find in a fallen world. And so that's, you know, fulfilling the greatest commandment, loving others as themselves, and, and also, of course, the Great Commission. So service, real, service learning really teaches students how visions mm -hmm. of God's restoration work. And that's something they're going to need for their whole lives. So that's the, that's the reason why service learning in a Christian school looks a bit, even though on the surface, it might look similar in some ways to the school down the street, it is, it is actually very different in its foundation and the kinds of outcomes that we are seeking. And I would, I would say it not only teaches them how, but it invites them in, right? It invites yes. students into the already ongoing work that's happening in their community, 
right? Through churches, through nonprofits, through other organizations. And, and, and it, it opens students' eyes to, oh, these are the needs of our community. And I, this is, you're inviting me in to be a part of the solution, which is, which is very powerful. Yeah, I think that's part of the, um, the hidden curriculum of service learning, you know, things. The, the first is really leadership. Mm-hmm. Part of the hidden curriculum that if students engage in this K to 12, they naturally begin developing skills for, okay, this is what I did in the last project. I can take on this, I can take on the, the, the multimedia piece, or I can write letters or I can, et cetera. And so it develops leadership, but I think to your point, it also develops a real communitarian perspective on why serve. You know, I think that a, that sort of, and I don't, this is not a negative towards philanthropy, but when you read the research, you know, sort of that charitable or, or philanthropic approach mm-hmm. to doesn't really connect people relationally. There's really that uneven dynamic of I have something and you know, therefore I'm going to give it to you. Where service learning, because it builds authentic relationships, it really helps students to see themselves as part of the community and to say, what are the real needs here? How can I serve serve in that way? And then, of course, you know, all the anecdotal stories, you know, a lot of times the students get way more than they gave, which that's not what we're shooting for. Um, but, But it is that mutually beneficent relationship piece and that is is indeed part of the of the curriculum that's great that's great so as you have worked with many many schools around the country uh, with service learning can you give me some examples of where you've seen this in action in christian schools what kind of impact did it make on both the students and the community sure so i can i usually share two sort of prime examples one is at the elementary level and one is at the high school level so starting with the elementary uh, level and we include a lot of these case stories in in the book because to talk abstractly about what is involved in Christian service learning it's quite another thing to actually give an example because it really awakens people's imaginations. So um, the first example is an upper elementary teacher who used her math curriculum as the basis for a service learning project, which I also love because people always say, "Well, how on earth could you use math? You know, Bible and." English and maybe history might, but she actually centered it in her math curriculum. And instead of graphing, you know, graphing was the main unit that she chose, uh, but instead of graphing the number of pillows or windows in their house, which always drove me nuts as a parent too, uh, students were connected with a local food pantry and they basically kept inventory for the year for them. And they also went out on distribution outreaches with a second food pantry throughout the year They also went on a shopping field trip to a grocery store. They raised money, they bought supplies for the pantry. And in addition to tracking students learning through their journals, the teacher also found, and this was fascinating, that that students scored better on their unit than students who had not gone through service learning in the years prior. And so those are just some of the academic outcomes she tracked, but some of the other pieces that we saw uh, you know, students who typically were not very engaged or vocal in class really became engaged in, in the project. Parent involvement was also significant. Parents often went on outreaches with the class. They saw how their students were serving. And there were so many, you could call them God moments. Just to share a, a couple of quick ones. Um, once when the one of the classes was at the food outreach site, and of course, remembering they're very highly supervised. You've got the ministry staff, you've got with them. But somebody who was on the food line 
saw the kids serving and, and just really was touched and asked for prayer. And the students gathered around him, the ministry leaders gathered around him, and there's this great picture of them all laying hands on him and praying for him. And it was really a powerful moment. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye. You know, you imagine these, I think it was fourth graders doing this. So that's one of those, those kind of God moments that you, if you don't take people out into the community, you just don't make the space for those. Um, so I, I'm just imagining that student back at home around the dinner table talking about their math lesson, right? Which yeah, they probably exactly. never talked about their math lesson before, but now they've engaged the entire family yeah. because of this learning service learning opportunity. And not only that, but one of their parents was probably with them. So talking about how hard it is to get parents involved, you know, in doing homework, you know, this, this, one of their parents was probably there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really powerful stuff. Um, second project was with, uh, jun with juniors in high school. And this was a service learning project that connected students with veterans in their community. And the project was to their English and history courses. So particularly in, in history, they were learning about uh, American history and world wars. And in English, they were learning communication skills. So journaling, writing and public speaking, et cetera. And so what they did was they partnered with a local VFW hall. They marched in the Veterans Day Parade. They visited some of the groups meeting. They had veterans come in and speak with their classes. But the culminating event was a veterans night and the students served dinner to about 50 veterans, all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. I mean, many of these, these folks, they just met through the community. So they were not even affiliated with a church or, or people that anybody quote unquote knew through the Christian school. And they had poems and art and music and really honored them. But then the culminating piece was they interviewed them about their service. And later they wrote up their stories and compiled them into a biography project and shared it with veterans. And it was so powerful because you saw students again that were quiet, you know, interviewing and listening to these folks stories. And just to tell one quick story from that, um, I was doing a focus group with high school students from that school. And there was one student in that focus group that was really quiet and not sharing. And I knew that he'd been part of that project. So I turned to him and I said, so I, I know you did this service learning project with the veterans last year. Just can you tell me a little bit about it? And I was kind of hoping to wake him up, but he sat bolt upright in his chair. He banged his fist on the table. He looks me straight in the eye and we all jumped back because it was kind of scary. And he goes, I would do that again in a heartbeat. And I was sort of stunned. I'm like, okay. okay. So I just sort of managed to mutter or, or stumble and say, well, well, why is that? And his response, which I'll never forget, and eventually became the title of this book, he said, because it brought it all to life. And that's because service learning brings that learning to life. For mm -hmm. students. That student's case, it actually brought the student to life. You know, um, it, it's real world work with real people. And that's what makes it real life learning. I love, I love that. And I can just imagine how excited our students are when we invite them into this real world project, right? It's not just a theoretical idea from a math textbook, right? No, we're going to invite you in and discover this and see how this applies to this, to this material, right? But it also, this is, we're inviting our students into uh, real work that, that is impacting real lives. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's it's definitely messy. Mm-hmm. It gives God the opportunity to really, really do amazing things versus yes. scripted, very rote. You know, I mean, deeper learning is messy, but that's what makes it. That's what makes it deep. It's not shallow. It's not superficial. Well, in in a real a real, the reason why I chose this title, learning to serve, is because our learning should serve others, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, our learning needs to serve others. So let's look at uh, what would you, would you say the first steps are for a teacher or a school? Um, if they want to begin to utilize service learning in their school, what are the first steps? Like what are some, what are some logistics that need to, be, need to be considered? Yeah, so obviously this is a really unique time to be having this discussion. <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of COVID. And, uh, and actually at ACSI now we've done three nationwide surveys with literally, you know, over, over a thousand schools and the responses to COVID and schools have been super creative in modifying everything they're doing. Their student activities, their athletics, fine arts, chapels, but data shows that the one thing that schools have basically stopped altogether are field trips and outreach, so, which is understandable. So anything that takes students out into the community, too much risk, they've essentially stopped in this, across these thousands of schools. So it's a strange time to be talking about this, but at the same time, I think it's a good time because first of all, teachers and leaders can use this time to plan for next year. And I actually suspect based on other data we're collecting in those surveys, you know, schools have been doing a lot of care packages, a lot of um, financial support uh, that they've gathered for families that are struggling. They've been doing car parades and all this other stuff during COVID. So I actually think that our students are going to emerge from this and our faculty and our schools are going to emerge from this with a desire, a greater desire to serve others. So now is probably the time to think about how we continue to cultivate that desire in our school communities past or post COVID. So, so all that, that preamble aside, looking towards the next school year and using this as a possible planning time, you know, the first thing I would say for teachers is you cannot do this as an add-on. It is not one more thing to do. I mean, you basically imagine a year long field trip. You cannot add this in. So you need to swap out parts of your curriculum, your it with service learning. And in the book, we really talk about, and this is counterintuitive, you, you really need to start with your curriculum and, and think about, instead of running out looking for a fun, fun project for students to do. And if you start with a the curriculum, then that will ensure, again, that you're harnessing the learning for students. You'll be able to make those academic connections. So we recommend some good places to think about swapping and service learning might be a theme or a unit that has practical real world application. It could be an area where you see that students are, are struggling, where the content can be better grasped if it involves some kind of active hands-on learning. Or it could be a place in the curriculum where, you know, God could use the knowledge students are learning to meet a real life view in the community. So those are just some places to start for teachers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of worksheets in the book uh, that, can, that people can photocopy and use for teachers in their planning um, to really have them think through all the pieces of designing a project. Uh, for schools and leaders, the major piece of advice I would give is that old saying, if you fail to plan, you're, you're doing what? You're, you're planning to fail. Uh, service learning isn't something you can do on the fly. It's sort of like you can't show up at school and all of a sudden decide you're going to take your class on a field trip that day. 
So we, we do a whole chapter in the book on planning for service learning. Like I said, there's the project planning template. And we also really suggest piloting first. So take your early adopters, your folks who are just chomping at the bit, want to do this. They're going to have success with it no matter what. And then they can become your spokespeople throughout the school. Um, pick two or three grades or classes to start. And, and that way you experiment on a small scale and you take the learning from those pilot projects into a more expansive program that you could eventually roll out, whether it's one project in each grade or your grouping class classes or grades there's, or do one project per department. There's tons of different ways to do this. We talk about that in the book. And the last thing I'd say is overall, it's really important to build capacity for service learning. And that's something schools can be doing right. So things like professional development, developing a learning community mindset around service learning. How are we going to learn how to do this as a school? This is new. It's not just a project we're gonna roll out. We're actually gonna to learn together, students, faculty, leaders, community partners, how to do this. And helping faculty be collaborative with each other as they design projects uh, and work in teams to do that. And then also think about logistical support. How will you provide support for things like permissions and insurance? You know, we had this awful story of a, a, a sixth grade class and the kids were all jazzed. They were gonna go help out at a big box pet store for their adoption days that they were so, so imagine a bunch of sixth graders, super excited, puppies, puppies, puppies. Well, the day or two before that visit, all of a sudden they found out they had to sign an insurance waiver and the corporate policy was the kids had to be over 16 to serve. That's not something you want to tell a bunch of sixth graders the day before they're going to go play with puppies. So uh, yeah, just crying. I mean, you can manage the whole thing. So they came up with a they came up with a good alternative. They had a local fan, local uh, group that did adoptions came in and brought the dogs to school. But still, there's a lot of logistics that you have, you do not want to find out the day before you're going on the trip. So you, so some kind of administrative support is key. But all of this is in the book. And we really have, have seen and have heard that it is a useful tool for schools as they build this collaborative approach around service learning. Mm -hmm. I love what you said at the very beginning. This is not an add-on. Right. This is really, this is how you teach, right? You're, so we're changing the pedagogy of this. So that we're, we're changing this into this is how we're teaching, right? Our mindset. Yeah. And I, with, with my teachers at our school uh, at Doulos Discovery, we did this at the beginning of every school year. We would take our teachers on a one day or two day service learning slice where they got to experience it as a, as a student, right? As a participant. And then we would debrief it and say, okay, now this is how you can teach, teach this way, right? So you've experienced it first as a teacher. Now we're, now we're empowering you to do this with your students this, yeah. this year. And it really is a cascade effect. So, so some of the research that I did in the higher education space with college students, what happened was, and I hate to have to say this, but it, doing service learning actually ruined them for any other kind of learning. You know, they would show up in their other classes where there wasn't a service learning component. Maybe like, I, we just, I can't hack this. I need, to, I need to know how this applies, how I can use this. And so you know, and I don't have data at, at the K-12 level to support that, but my suspicion is that, and, and you know, and, and some of the schools that we've worked with, including the school that I worked in, 
you know, actually become known at, known for their service learning. So even years after I had left the school, I heard some reports, you know, would get in the newspaper, et cetera, but I heard some reports that they would get faculty applying for jobs and they say, why do you want to work here? And they say, well, it's because I know you have service learning and that's really exciting for me. So it really is, it really is transformative mm -hmm. uh, for the whole school. Mm -hmm. it, not this one-off and if it's something that really really is intentionally rolled out over multiple years and it's done as you're saying with your faculty a, a learning a collaborative learning experience for everyone we are going to learn how to do this together right and and how many times do our students say what's the point of learning this well this answers it right we're going to discover yeah, this together you never get that. That question is gone. If you're doing service learning, you don't, you don't get that. You don't get that question. And, and interestingly, teachers will automatically scaffold that for students. They'll automatically work with students to develop those understandings and those, those meanings. So yeah, it's a lot. But you know, when you talk about wanting to engage students more deeply in learning, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, if you're familiar with core clarity, you know, I'm a maximizer. I'm like, let's just, you know, let's just find the one lever that's going to do as much as we can. And I mean, I was telling our, I was asking our faculty for years, please collaborate, please use more engaged learning, please do this, please do that. And it just seemed overwhelming. That it was like, all right, we're just going to do service learning. And it literally the pulling that lever accomplished so many of the other goals pedagogically in terms of instructional culture, collaboratively relationships with the community that any school would spend years if you were them individually and absolutely. Probably far. Absolutely. I mean, this in, and I'm an activator. So I just say, let's go, you know, we don't have to have every didn't talk, you know, we don't have to have every right. piece figured out, but let's just get it started. Right. And it's a galvanizing cultural experience for your, for your school community as well. Yeah. The one thing, the last thing I say about this is that, you know, faculty, their biggest fear always was the question was asked with fear and trembling. If this doesn't work out, can I do something different? And my response always was absolutely. But I pretty much guarantee you, you will not want to do something different. You will titrate, you will, you will change, you will improve, you will adapt. But once you develop these relationships and, and that's why that planning is so key. You know, you really need to vet the relationship up front with the community partner. You need to vet with your, you as well. So as long as you have that piece in place and everyone's willing to work collaboratively to improve things, you know, I, but I think that fear of failure, you really have to address that and say, there is no failing here. There's, we're going to, we're going to look forward. That's right. That's right. Um, so you, you touched on a little bit about how service learning could be assessed. Can you give us one or two examples of, of best practices for assessment? Sure. So that's, uh, we have a whole chapter in the book. I'm a little embarrassed to say it's one of the longer chapters uh, in the book uh, on it. So I won't go too in depth, but I mean, I think it's important to know it's not a simple or a one shot assessment strategy. You know, it's not going to be a test that people take. And, and that's because, and the other piece to really keep in mind is there are multiple levels of impact of service learning. The first is of course, student learning and development, but there's also school improvement or change. We've talked a little bit about that just now. And then there's also community impact. And so schools really need to think about how they're going to creatively assess learning and change at all three levels. 
and involve students in that process and involve community members in that process. So it, it becomes pretty clear pretty pretty quickly that we're talking about a more complex design than usually schools are familiar with. And we really walk schools through that in the book. Um, but you know, for example, if we focus on student learning, you know, assessment methods like student developed portfolios work really well. That can be peer reviewed by other students. And those then serve an additional purpose, which is they can be shared with community partners, whether formally or informally. And because it becomes a multimodal pedagogy that really engages everyone involved in service learning, assessment needs to be multimodal and robust as well. And the good news is that this type of assessment is actually more authentic in the sense that when we think about the kinds of work students have to do in many different careers, typically more applied, practical, involves multimedia, it's collaborative, and in most cases it's iterative. I mean, how often for your, for your career um, do you sit and take, a, take an exam, you have one shot in an exam? I mean, that's, I don't know anybody who does that for a living. Maybe there is, is someone. I mean, certainly there are high, high, pressure, high pressure situations in different careers. I'm not saying that that isn't the case. Um, but, but typically, it's a process of ongoing revision, refinement, collaboration. And so our, our students who go through service learning and have these types of robust assessments actually are better prepared in the future. And one of the most frustrating things for me, having worked in higher education for so many years and really uh, been part of the movement towards engaged learning, you know, colleges and universities are, are much further ahead on this than K-12, yeah. having changed a lot of their assessment practices and you know, one of the busy, biggest expenditures for, for our higher ed has been library furniture because they've gotten rid of all those corrals that you and I are used to and develop these collaborative spaces. So one of the biggest frustrations for me is when someone like a, a younger elementary uh, teacher says something like, well, you know, they need to sit here and take this test because they're going to need it in college. You're going to be able to do that in college. And my response is, well, I spent a lot of years trying to change that in college and they're way ahead of, that, of us in that. So so even this, there really is no excuse. I think we are doing our students a disservice both for post-secondary education and also for their careers if we aren't using authentic assessment approaches that more closely mirror the real life work they'll be required to do in the future. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you are speaking my language, Lynn. <laughs> this is yeah, and that's not even that's not even touch. That's the tip of the, that's not even touching the spiritual piece. You know, we, we have a blog on the ACSI blog by um, Stephen and Joanna Levy about what, what uh, assess teaches students about, <laughs> about their relationship with God. You know, is it a one-shot assessment or is God patient with us? And, and we develop our, you know, so there's, so that's not even, you know, really looking at the spiritual, what spiritually what we're teaching students through assessment about authority and about good work and about beautiful work and about the process of sanctification and discipleship. I mean, I would refer folks to that, that blog. Um, that I'm just talking the educative aspect. I'm not even talking the spiritual aspect that Christian schools really have to, um, really have to think through. That's right. That's right. You know, I think a, a, a beginning question as we look at uh, even the organizations that our schools can partner with, the first question is, what do you need, right? 
what what do you need and, and then begin this this exploratory question uh, conversation with them how can our students help you meet that need right and whether that's a news article whether that's a video whether that's a website or a blog or an art mural or something what just starting off with how, if if our learning is to serve you i need to ask you what do you need right um, okay, well, we define, with Christian Deeper Learning, we define Christian Deeper Learning as people of God's story engaged in real work that forms self and shapes the world. And I'm going to uh, explain that a little bit. So uh, we believe that it's a celebration of the learner, what it means to be created in God's image. So we are people of God's story. It's a mindfulness towards learning design, how curriculum, instruction, and assessment inspire inward and outward engagement. So we are engaged in real work. And it's a responsiveness to culture, how to embody our mission in every aspect of school life and how to live it out in God's world. So it's, it forms self and shapes the world around us. Service learning falls squarely within all three of these areas. So how did you get connected to Christian Deeper Learning? That's a great question. Uh, you know, ACSI is now in our third year of being a sponsor for the Deeper Learning Conference. So we were at the conference at Legacy Christian in Frisco a couple of years ago at Denver Christian School last year, and we're sponsoring this year, even though obviously it looks a little different because of COVID. But uh, the first year that we were involved, I actually presented on service learning at the conference, which was just a phenomenal experience um, to really engage with people who were thinking deeply about about the dimensions that you just you just said. But if I go back even further, uh, the way I originally connected with Christian Deeper Learning was by meeting Dan Barons. And we met in an ACSI administrators conference, a mutual uh, connection had told both of us, you both should meet each other because you talk similarly. Um, and so somehow Dan found me in the exhibitors hall and I think he was hoping for a quick introduction and that turned into like a two hour conversation about deeper learning. And I was really amazed because, you know, I this, this is really the focus of a lot of the work I had done in, in higher education, what I call engaged pedagogy, you can call it active learning, deeper learning, authentic learning, collaborative learning. So it's got all these different names, you know, expeditionary, I mean, everybody's got their own um, approach to it, which is great, that's not a negative. But essentially, we're talking about something that's very, very similar um, in terms of what, uh, what we understand learning to be versus what it isn't. And so, um, it was really wonderful to find folks in the K-12 space, particularly in the K-12 Christian school space, that were thinking about pedagogy and learning in this way, especially from a Christian worldview perspective, really understanding the, that, what the implications are of a biblical worldview and that this is, this is part of it. And that was, that was really, really exciting for me, very jazzing. And, and it was just, I think, you know, when I got, when I got, um, sovereignly led out of higher education uh, to go into the Christian school it made no sense to anybody, including, including myself. And this was just a really neat connection that I feel like the Lord orchestrated to, to say, here's some great work that's going on. You have some connection with this. You have some knowledge to bring. You can be part of just one small part, but one part of a larger conversation in our Christian school. So that was very exciting. That's awesome. Well, tell me, tell us a little bit more about your work with ACSI and, and what initiatives are happening with service learning and or deeper learning uh, that you'd like to share. Yeah, so we started in the beginning. I want to just expand a little bit on, on flourishing schools. 
uh, because we're very excited about that. And that started with a research initiative probably about two or three years ago. And, and in and through it, we actually learned some very interesting things about deeper learning. So the research asked the question, how does a Christian school flourish? And we developed validated an instrument that surveyed seven groups. So we had students, teachers, leaders, parents, support staff, board members, and alumni. And we had over 15,000 responses from those groups. So it was massive. I mean, this was the first of its kind in Christian schools, certainly. And through the analysis process, and we, we looked at outcomes data. So that included things like standardized test scores, but it wasn't limited to that. It also looked at holistic outcomes that a group of leading Christian schools, over 60 Christian schools had in their expected student outcomes. So we piped those into the instrument development. And through all that, uh, five domains emerged that are correlated with a range of flourishing outcomes. And those are, I mentioned them earlier, purpose, relationships, teaching and learning, expertise and resources, and well-being. And each of those domains has multiple constructs under it. And each of those is correlated with flourishing for students, for educators, teachers, leaders, and for the school itself. And like I said, some of the findings are just fascinating for deeper learning. And I shared out a little bit of this at the last conference over lunch, but just to sort of recap here, you know, I think some of the outcomes we found and the linkages we found were self-evident, like hiring qualified teachers has a positive impact on test scores. When you provide enough resources in the classroom, that's linked with reduced teacher turnover, right? But some of the fascinating things we found, I think are things we tell ourselves and our teachers and our families all the time but now we have data for it. So for example, we looked at uh, alumni and their self-report on their faith and their relationship with God. And alumni were significantly more likely to report that they're still walking with God if teachers were oriented towards best practice, mm -hmm. if school effectively and collaboratively met the needs of students with special needs, and, and this ties to service learning, if administrators were engaging the surrounding community in meaningful ways. And this is really amazing because if we talk about spiritual, we talk about spiritual formation, like what, what would you oftentimes think? You'd think chapel, Bible curriculum, this, and I'm not saying don't think that, but this is, this is really amazing. Um, and so this really supports what we've been saying all along. Christian schools are different when they model excellence for God's glory, when they care about the needs in their school community, and if they engage their communities beyond their four walls with love and service, they're really modeling Christ for students. And students pick up on that, and it has a lasting impact on their faith well after they graduate. And it doesn't just model, most importantly, it engages students, like we were, we've said multiple times, in tangible ways, how students can do everything to God's glory, how they can care for the needs around them in their school and in their immediate circle, but also how to love their neighbor, hmm. uh, even beyond four walls. And that's powerful. And the last thing I'll say, which is, which is really neat, a really interesting finding for deeper learning, is that our, our analysis found that deeper learning doesn't just impact students, it impacts teachers as well. And so we found that at schools where students were more engaged in their learning, so they were more engaged in critical thinking and problem solving, those higher level levels of learning, 
teacher turnover was significantly lower. Now that's not causal. All right, let me just state right now, it's not causal. So it's not like, yay, they're engaging in learning. That means, you know, that's causing teachers to, to stick around. It's not, we don't, we, the strength of the data is, is, is it's very strong, but it is a correlation. And so it's not causal. We don't understand the reason for all those findings, but it's clear that there is a connection between the depth of learning happening in a school and teacher satisfaction which is linked with lower turnover. So we're gonna continue data analysis. We have more and more schools participating in the research. We have well over hundred schools now. We will learn more, even more as time goes on about how students, teachers, leaders can really flourish together in schools. Yeah, this is, this is great. I mean, what an incredible way to, for our students to be light and salt in their communities. And for our teachers, to be light and salt in their community. So uh, this is revolutionary. <laughs> it truly is. Um, Lynn, thank you for joining me on Learning to Serve. I am, like I said before, I am so thankful for your pioneering leadership within Christian education, uh, for your voice, uh, for your, uh, for the initiatives that you take uh, within, within this field of work. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share? So I, so you said revolutionary. It's funny because the, um, the subtitle of the book, so let's bring it to life. The subtitle is Christian education and the transformative power of service learning. And it really is transformative on in so many ways that we've just talked about, but I would just close with a scripture. I'd close with Ephesians 2.10, which I refer to as the banner scripture for service learning. And so in this verse, uh, the apostle Paul writes, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so the encouragement would be in schools, ask how everything we are doing supports this holistic education of the student, the spirit, the mind, the heart, the body. How do we reflect the reality that students are uniquely made in God's image with gifts and talents and that God already has good works he's prepared for them to do and so how do we in schools partner with him? How do we ensure that our students are, are ready to walk in those redemptive works and indeed through things like service learning are walking through them now, are walking in them now uh, and in their vocation, their career or whatever pathway he would call them to in the future. Great, well, thank you. Well, it's been great to be with you. Thanks, Krista. And thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I invite you to share this with a friend and give us a five-star rating wherever you find your podcasts. I also invite you to visit our website at christiandeeperlearning.org. Check out CDL4, the professional development that is available right now for your school staff. CDL4 offers a great opportunity to explore what deeper learning means for your Christian school. Remember this quote from Howard Hendricks. Christian education is like a bomb with a long fuse. It takes a while to go off.